Historian, entrepreneur, and author Itai Tenenbaum is your guide for a behind-the-scenes tour of Israeli society and objective analysis of the key issues of the day for anyone who wants a deep and authentic look inside Israel. July 2021. Sirens wailed in Western Galilee. Residents ran for cover and or ran to their safe room. Israeli radars saw two rockets flying fast towards northern Israel. One of them was intercepted by Iron Dome, which is our missile defense system, and the second was landing in open space and hence allowed to fall. Both rockets were coming from Lebanon. When I was little, I remember the adults speaking politics. When speaking of Lebanon, they always said, Lebanon's not going to be the first country to sign peace with Israel, but it will definitely be the second. Well, not exactly. This episode is called Fauda and Lebanon. For those of you that watch the Israeli action-packed series Fauda, you may be expecting that sort of episode. But Fauda in Arabic means anarchy. And we Israelis look to the north of our border. We are witnessing a Lebanon collapse into anarchy. So it's summer of 2021. And here's a virtual visual of what is happening in Lebanon. First of all, there's no gasoline. People are standing in traffic for two days, a two-day traffic jam, just waiting to receive a bit of gasoline. There is a scarcity of food in the shops. People are having fistfights over trying to buy just basic products. At most, there is two hours of electricity per day for the residents. There's no medicine, not even for easing the pain of terminal patients. The Lebanese currency, the lira, has devalued by 90%. It is now 6,000 lira in the black market for one American dollar. The social fabric of the society has collapsed. The Prime Minister of Lebanon echoed his concern that Lebanon will cease to exist as a nation. Add to that one million Syrian refugees that have fled from the civil war in Syria into Lebanon, and Lebanon is only seven million people strong. The military, the Lebanese military that is, is so desperate for a bit of cash that it is offering helicopter flights for $150. The military also attempted to have a donation drive in order to pay the soldiers' salary. Add COVID, which has hit Lebanon very hard. Lebanon is in total bankruptcy. The World Bank has stated that their economy is in such despair, it is unprecedented in modern economic history. Furthermore, August 4, 2020, a large amount of ammonia nitrate that was stored at the port rocked Beirut in a tremendous explosion. Residents said that it felt and sounded as if an atomic bomb went off. The explosion caused at least 207 deaths. 7,500 people were injured, many of them crippled for life. And $15 billion in property damage left an estimated 300,000 people without a home. Lebanese, already suffering greatly from a decaying economy, having half their population living under the poverty line, looked on horrified. Some of the elders reminiscent how once, not that long ago, the city was coined as the Pearl or the Paris of the Middle East. In order to understand this, I've invited Avi Malamed, who is an expert on Middle East affairs. He's an author, lecturer, intelligence analyst, born and raised in Jerusalem, former Israeli intelligence official. Avi's also the founder and president of Inside the Middle East Intelligence Perspective. Avi, welcome. Can you please tell us, how did Lebanon get to the situation? Good morning, Itai. Thank you for having me. It's a great opportunity and I'm very honored. Um, Lebanon is a failing state. Now, there are a couple of reasons that actually brought Lebanon to this phase. It's a combination of uh, sectarian politics. There are some 17, 18 different ethnical groups in Lebanon, and it's mostly not a story of love affair. 
the relationship between the groups are very tense during the years. Another reason is a very deep-rooted corrupted within the politicians who are basically looking mostly for their own narrow interests uh, rather than look at the collective national interest. And of course there is another major reason for that and that is the fact that Lebanon in the last generation or more has been kidnapped from within by a Lebanese-based factor. It's called Hezbollah, the party of God. This is the meaning of the name. This is a proxy that was established by the Iranians in the beginning of the 80s, armed by the Iranians. And actually what happened in time was that the Hezbollah taking advantages of the built-in weaknesses of Lebanon was able to actually kidnapped Lebanon from within. So many people in the Arab world actually say they refer to Lebanon saying this is Edwela Fidaula, which means a state within a state. Interesting. As Israelis, is this good for us that Lebanon today is weak, especially economically? Is this good for us or is this bad for us? It's worrisome. I mean, because when we look at the reality in Lebanon today, let's say from humanitarian perspective, we potentially may find ourselves tomorrow morning dealing with thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of Lebanese that are knocking down Israel's door because, literally speaking, they are running out of commodities, they are running out of fuel, they don't have services, and so desperate they may turn to Israel. Or if you want another example, it's possible, given to the dire situation in Lebanon, the Hezbollah will basically decide at some point to break whole hell loose and basically to initiate a war. Okay, so you spoke of a humanitarian crisis. And on that note, our Minister of Defense, uh, Benny Gantz, actually made a statement in which he brought up the idea of providing humanitarian aid to Lebanon. Should Israel get involved in this? Usually when we get involved in issues in the Middle East, it somehow boomerangs on us. Should we get involved? Should we not get involved? Well, that's a big question, Ita. You know, one, one aspect of that is the moral issue, you know. And obviously, in that sense, I believe that we all know and the answer. Israel, at least morally, is obliged to try to help as much as possible. Reminding you, Israel helped a lot the Syrians during the war in Syria, humanitarianly speaking, of course. It's a very complex question. On the one hand, yes, you say, if I'm providing humanitarian assistance, I'm kind of like first fulfilling my moral obligation. Second, I probably going to have some credit among the population. But on the other hand, based upon the experience in the past, I don't know to say that this is something that automatically secured Israel, automatically provide Israel with a long-term advantage. Okay, so you know what, let's be a little more specific in that case, and not necessarily humanitarian aid, but we do know that there is a very strong possibility that there is natural gas in the Mediterranean Sea, in the territorial waters of Lebanon. However, it's very close to the Israeli border, and nobody, no company, no big company would want to invest money in digging up this natural gas for Lebanon, which they can make a huge profit on, when there's instability. And we even know that Israel and Lebanon can help each other by creating some kind of uh, agreement. And yet, it seems as if the negotiations are not only stalled, but halted completely. Why? Well, just very shortly, uh, uh, some background. There is a specific section in the area that borders between the two states, the territorial, the water territorial area. It's known section number nine. It's a controversial area. There is a controversy between Israel and Lebanon regarding who own what part of that territory. Israel says we have something like 40%. The Lebanese says like, no, it's all totally Lebanese. And obviously it goes back to the whole issue of the gas. A couple of months ago, the Lebanese government resumed dialogue 
with Israel regarding possible future arrangement. The interesting aspect of that is that the Lebanese government did it because it got a green light from the Hezbollah to do that. So when the Hezbollah is actually saying to the Lebanese government, fine, you have a green light to negotiate, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are going to see an end solution for that because for the Hezbollah keeping the card of this is an occupied quote-unquote territory is serving the Hezbollah much better than saying to the Lebanese, you know what, let's settle down, let's compromise because the revenue that we can make from the gas are going to be for the benefit of all of us. This is a clear example how the Hezbollah is actually subduing, subjecting the Lebanese strategic interest. Okay, so Hezbollah obviously is a state within a state, as you mentioned. And my question, I guess, is when we speak of Hezbollah, we obviously look at one person who controls, who gives the tone, who gives the instructions and the orders, and that is Hassan Nasrallah. And it's interesting because I've heard you in the past say that narratives and symbols in the Middle East are extremely strong and are used by everybody. He seems to be very shrewd at this. He seems to have the ability to use symbols What's his secret? What is he about? Uh, Nasrallah indeed is a very charismatic uh, speaker. He's one of the most brilliant leaders that emerged in the Middle East, unfortunately, is on the wrong side of the equation as far as we are concerned. He's very sophisticated and he's just excel, he's master in the whole mess psychology. And one of the things that Nasrallah excels in is how to play the narratives and the emotions. I would say that by far the most clear narrative that he is echoing all the time is a concept that is known by the name of Mukauma wal Mumana'a, which means the resistance and the defiance. This is, just to make a long story short, this is a narrative that is very deeply rooted within the masses in the Arab world. And roughly speaking, this is a narrative that says we are committed to eliminate the state of Israel through the use of military power and other means. And this is something that the Hezbollah and particularly Nasrallah, excels in playing with. Wow. So Hezbollah is strong, we know, and it's especially strong in the South. And I wanted to ask you, there were two rockets that were fired on Israel, July 2021. The question is, were these two rockets fired by some rogue terror organization, maybe connected with the Palestinians, or is this controlled by Hezbollah trying to give a message to Israel? The answer is, for both questions, is yes. Meaning it was shot by some Palestinian factions that operate in the area of South Lebanon, particularly in the vicinity of uh, two major cities, coastal cities, Tyre and Sidon. In those cities, there are large Palestinian refugee camps. However, this whole area in the end of the day is monitored and controlled by the Hezbollah. Nothing could happen there without the Hezbollah's consent. Okay, so speaking of that, do you think that Hezbollah, in this crisis, this major crisis in Lebanon, in order to divert attention from the crisis, in order to find a common enemy and stir up emotions against Israel, do you think that they may use this opportunity, find an excuse, and strike at Israel? This is a possibility. Personally, I don't think that currently Hezbollah is heading that way. The major reason for that is, look, the crisis in Lebanon is really, really serious and deep. Uh, Just the other day, there has been clashes going on in a neighborhood called Khalde in South Beirut between Sunnis and Hezbollah members. Uh, Four Hezbollah supporters were killed. The issue about Lebanon, one of the aspects of Lebanon, Lebanon is a state that has what I call the gang state mentality. In every single household in Lebanon, there is weapon, and I'm not talking only about pistols and guns. And Hezbollah understand that in the end of the day, he may ignite um, escalation, but he cannot say for sure how that escalation is going to end up. And I want to remind us, 
In 2006, when the Hezbollah initiated the war with Israel, in the end of the war, Nasrallah, he came out and he openly admitted and said, had I knew that would be the outcome of what I did, I would not start it. And that was in 2006. One of the major reasons for Nasrallah's statement was the fact that very shortly after the war started, he found himself dealing with almost one million refugees streaming from the south part of Lebanon. Most of them are Shiites, meaning most of them are his support and they flee up to Beirut. Nasrallah understands that in a coming round with Israel that scenario will repeat itself in a much more severe dimension and in the current atmosphere, in the current circumstances and conditions Lebanon is in, I think that uh, Nasrallah is, will be very seriously contemplating twice and three times before he will decide to initiate some military move. I think to the best of my understanding as of now, in the foreseeable future, I don't think that Nasrallah is going to initiate war in Israel. We do know that the Middle East can snowball, even though it's very hot here, can snowball into an affair even from something little. How does Israel, Israel's policy, as I know, is always to try to deter your enemy from doing something stupid. What is Israel basically, what's the message Israel sending to Hezbollah specifically to say, don't mess with us? What's the deterrence? The deterrence is very simple. The boat that is called Lebanon, is sinking. And like the Titanic, it's going to sink with everyone on board, including the Hezbollah. You know, it's interesting. The Lebanese president, Michel Aoun, who is a political ally of... And is Christian. And he's Christian, and he's the head of the biggest political party in Lebanon. He was asked in a conference, in a press conference, he says, like, where is Lebanon going, given to the current conditions? He says, like, well, he says, if we will fail to address the challenges, for sure, which means we are hell, going right? to hell. Right. We are going to hell. We're going to hell. That's the big story. In other words, look, as I said before, Nasrallah is the big boss in Lebanon, but when the ship is sinking, everyone is on board. This is a major deterrence card, I would say, that Israel holds in its possession. Okay, so now there's an old phrase from biblical times, which says, prophecy is for the fools. And I'm still going to ask you, though, to the best of your knowledge or opinion, where do you think Lebanon is heading? That's a big, big question. It's beyond prophecy. <laughs> it's about science fiction. <laughs> Look, uh, there are different scenarios, starting with uh, Hezbollah taking over formally, which I think is less likely to be the case, ending up with the disintegration of Lebanon to sub-entities. Really, the whole scenarios are very open. Uh, I think the most powerful statement was the one that I mentioned before by the Lebanese president. I wouldn't like to be in Lebanon, not these days, not in foreseeable future. Avi, I want to thank you so much for being here. I enjoyed every moment. I hope our listeners enjoyed every moment. I just want to also say to our listeners that Avi has a website in which you can read and listen and view much deeper. His website is www.avimelamed.com. That's www.avimelamed.com. And I urge you to access the website. Thank you once again, Avi. Thank you, Itai. I want to take a couple more minutes to conclude and say the following. For many Israelis, Lebanon was, and still is, an open wound. If you are an Israeli between the ages of 30 and 70, you are probably involved with Lebanon in one way or another. Why do I say this? Because if you served in the regular service, your regular military service, or your reserve service, you had experienced Lebanon because we had two wars with Lebanon, one in 1982 that lasted, believe it or not, 18 years, and again, as Avi mentioned, in 2006. Most of my regular service between the early 80s and the mid 80s was indeed in Lebanon, and I just want to share one quick story. 
1984, we were driving in three military vehicles up the eastern part of Lebanon. We had entered Lebanon from Israel and heard a tremendous explosion. We realized something happened, turned around, drove towards the explosion, and witnessed what was a suicide car bomb drive into an Israeli truck with soldiers on it. 14 of those soldiers were killed. It was absolutely horrific and somewhat traumatic. Unfortunately, I'm not unique. Lebanese, be it Christians, Muslims, Druze, Armenian, Kurds, and many other, were also traumatized for years from their civil war, the wars with Israel, Hezbollah, Iran, Syria, Turkey, the Russians, and others. Get the picture. It's messy. Are there possible solutions? Yes, there are. For instance, Macron, the president of France, had visited Lebanon after the explosion and offered aid. As a matter of fact, they offered a lot of aid. However, they conditioned it on political reforms. They realized that if they just give money, it's going to go to someone's pocket with all the corruption going on in Lebanon. The Hezbollah refused adamantly any aid if it was to be conditioned on reforms. What's another possibility? Iran can possibly help. It has its own economic hardships, however, and it doesn't seem like Iran has the ability or the money to be able to help. And if they do, the price is very high because it'll mean the takeover of Lebanon by Iran and of course Hezbollah, its proxy. Another option is for the Sunni states to reinvest. Why do I say that? Well, when Lebanon basically became a Shia stronghold under the Iranian and Hezbollah influence, the Sunni states, the Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, and so on, had pulled out their money. They took all their money and left with it. Can they reinvest? Well, they would if they thought that Lebanon was not going to be a Shia Iranian stronghold. And lastly, there is Israel. As we discussed, there's natural gas, there are other options of perhaps some kind of economic cooperation, but that seems almost like messianic times if Hezbollah and Iran would actually cooperate with Israel, placing the Lebanese civilians as their priority. That's hard to see. Have no doubt that whatever happens in Lebanon is going to influence Israel. We will keep monitoring the situation, inviting experts, and of course, updating you. You can access all of our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. You can also log on to our website, www.insideisrael.fm. Mm-hmm.